Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Potato Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica. And I'm your host, Clara. And I am particularly looking forward to our guest today because I actually saw her perform at a recent uh, performance hosted by Diana Pedersen of Sound Let Me Dance, who was one of Potato's early interviewees. Our guest today is Burka Patel. She's a Katak, Correct. a Katak dancer and a student of Guru Rachna Sarang. Uh, along with performing, Burka currently teaches classes and trains young dancers in Katak, both in New York and in Mumbai, India. Burka is also studying a South Indian form of classical dance and enhancing her knowledge in music and training in Hindustani classical vocal. Burka recently completed her master's in performing arts, concentrating in Katak, from a university in India. Yeah, it's called the Kavi Kulguru Kalidas Sanskrit University. Exactly, which I could not pronounce. Um, and she also started the Burka Dance Company last year, through which she performs and teaches. Uh, welcome, so welcome. Thanks Thank, for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I am so excited for today. Yay. So we'll just start from the beginning like we do with all of our guests sure so tell us about your training in dance and how you became involved yeah sure so um i was actually born in india in calcutta although my sister is older and younger both born here my mom just happened to be traveling there and as we uh grew up in america my mom was really keen on me learning a indian form of dance specifically classical. Um, actually, her dream was that I, you know, learned Bharatanatyam, which is the South Indian um, classical dance form. And I did begin with that when I was really young. I think my mom caught me watching some Bollywood uh, music videos on the TV back then and mm-hmm. was just like, I really need to put her into a, a formal dance class. So I began my formal training in Bharatanatyam and then moved into Kathak um, as there was a wonderful teacher in our community, my guru, Rachna Sarang. Um, and it was like every girl had to train with her. So my mom shifted me into learning uh, Kathak, which is a North Indian um, classical dance. So there's a really big difference between the two art forms. South Indian dance, like Bharatanatyam, a lot of the form is in plie, and you stay in Aramandi, it's called. But in Kathak, you know, you're standing more and there's a lot of lyrical footwork patterns that we do. And in fact, in Kathak also, which um, I really enjoyed training in, the, was the, the Bharanth portion. Bharanth being um, the vocal aspect. So there are lyrical patterns that we perform too. They're called Toras, Tukras, Natraris, Bharans. They all have different meanings. I'm not going to go into a lot of them, but an example would be something like this. One, two, three, four. Wow. Amazing. So you perform to that, to spoken word, for the most part in Katak instead yes. of music or score? So there, there is live music that we perform to. Um, there's the tabla. There's a tabla artist that joins us, accompanies us. There's the sarangi, which is the more melodic part of the dance. Um, and then there's someone who actually um, says these lyrical patterns, but it's important that the dancer says them first, explains oh. it, says it themselves first on a mic, actually, and then goes, you know, takes their place and performs it. And as they're performing it, uh, whoever's sitting there to do parant with them um, speaks wow. the bowls. They're called bowls or um, the language of Kathak. 
those little pattern like words like da da they're called bowls huh. and so then do steps with the feet and gestures with the hands align correct. with the rhythmic pattern exactly and the most beautiful part i think is that gatak dancers or indian classical dancers in general we're not just um we're not just dancers but we're also musicians in a way um mm-hmm. because we have to be able to especially in gatak you have to be able to speak the patterns in rhythm of course also with like the correct intonations and um movement of your voice with the way the pattern needs to go the highs and the lows and then we also need to be able to play our own instrument which is the ankle bells that we wear which are called gungurus wow so it's not just um you know beautiful movement that we have to create that matches these patterns but to say them mm-hmm. to make sure that sound comes correctly with your feet as you're twirling as you're bending back and moving forwards and your your wrist is moving in the right direction your torso is moving in a line to the music wow and just the little bit that i have seen it is so dynamic and quick and a lot of like um changes in direction it just seems mm. very virtuosic to perform it it definitely is there uh, i'm a fast dancer um to an extent you begin with the slowest speed which is called vilambit Uh, mm-hmm. you can you can with vilambitle and then you move into madhyale and drutle medium speed and then the fastest speed mm-hmm. uh, the the performance you saw went quickly through all of that it oh. began with vilambit madhyale and drutle but typically you begin in a um slow fashion and you're kind of building up to the end and the the beautiful thing about gatak and that i truly appreciate um in terms of the way we all move and the way we've been trained to move um there are three different gharanas specifically in kathak gharanas are homes or styles of dance and um historically these styles formed according to the place that these people lived in that the stalwarts of the of those gharanas lived in so the three main are the jaipur gharana lucknow gharana and the banaras gharana and they all have their own distinct um styles so the lucknow gharana actually is a little bit more um there's a lot more like nazakat or beauty to it so there's a lot more expression facial expression there's a lot more softness in the movement mm. uh, and then jaipur gharana is the complete opposite in the sense like there's like power, powerful footwork thunderous chakras um which are this pirouettes that we take on our heel in ballet oh. you see it's on the toe oh. but um in kathak we take it on our left heel um we spin on that and then banaras gharana they do a lot more storytelling mm. so to backtrack a little bit actually um kathak comes from the sanskrit word katha mm. katha being a story so the dancers who perform to kathak are known as kathakars oh. so we tell stories and um historically actually um gatak dancers were just you know people who were telling stories from the time of the mahabharat which was this big indian epic back uh dating back to almost i think like 8th or 9th century bce so there were two huge movements that happened in over india um there's a bhakti movement where shri vallabh acharya who was a big follower of lord krishna was spreading um the descriptions of krishna and the mm. the practices of lord krishna and that influenced um that influenced kathak dance 
in numerous ways. Like, so the the Kathakars were telling stories more about Krishna then. They were dancing to stories about Krishna and Radha together, their their arguments, their their love practices, like all of that. And in the same way, the outfits were influenced. Um, so you'll see in that time, the dancers would, the female dancers would wear skirts and a blouse with a shawl, or we call them a dupatta, and they would wrap that around themselves. And then, that was around um, 15th, 16th century. And then you see this Mughal invasion that happened into India, and oh. that completely changed the whole look of Kathak. Um, in, really? in, in Islamic Muslim practices, it was believed, and it still is, I think, that there's no idol practice, and you don't really perform... Um, the stories of gods to the gods. So Kathak started coming out of the temples and into the courts of the Mughals. Patronage also decreased in the temples because the temples, you know, didn't have the money to support the art. So the Mughals, of course, had that, and a lot of the dancers were being brought into the court, and the Mughals actually insisted that the dancers bring sort of a more technical aspect. So a lot of the lyrical patterns that you you just heard me say was formalized and stylized in that time period, which was around like between the 15th and 19th century. Hmm. Even the outfits changed. So when you guys saw me perform, um, I wore something called an angarka or an anarkali, where it's it's a long sleeve outfit. It's a long gown, basically. And as Mm. you twirl, the dress kind of picks up. So it adds to the beauty of the dance. So it's not just like a stiff, um, I don't mean to say it, but like, you know, like a tutu where it it stays, you know, it stays upright. But this kind of picks up and drops as you dance into the movement. Like a romantic tutu. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So are you saying it kind of began as a religious tradition then? It definitely, I, I think it definitely did because in Hindu culture, in Hindu traditions, growing up, even back then, the first stories you learn about are those of the gods. Mm. So you are telling stories of the gods, whether it be Lord Krishna, Lord Shiva, the female goddesses Durga, um, the power of it, like, you know, Shakti, power of, she's the goddess of energy. Um, And then there's Saraswati and Lakshmi. Saraswati is the goddess of uh, knowledge and Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth. You know what I wanted to mention, and I'll just quickly say a note on this, if you want. Um, So after the British invaded India, uh, a lot of um, Kathak declined, actually. The patronage decreased. Oh, that would have had a huge impact on the history of all of this. Yes, but what's interesting, then, um, Kathak also picked up a lot when um, Ruth St. Denis, Ted Mm. Sean, and Anna Pavlova visited India and kind of pulled out dancers into um, their world and kind of they started exploring, um, you know, what this Indian art form is. So that kind of started increasing, um, you know, Kathak and bringing it back out into the light of dance. Into Into the the Western world. Correct. Into the Western world and even gaining that popularity in the Western world and then picking it up even further more in India as well. Fascinating. And Ruth St. Dennis has always had this history in that it's really great that she brought a lot of dance forms to light, but a lot of people have also accused her of appropriation in many ways because, you know, she's this white woman who's performing all these dances from different cultures, and that's a fascinating history in itself. But at the same time, I appreciate um, giving different art forms across the world new perspective. Oh, I completely agree. And 
one last thought on that. I just feel that I think the time was different, so the thoughts were different. Yeah. Right? That was um, not a conversation appropriation. Exactly, <laughs> right? So I, I feel um, – I think what she did was great, I think, to really delve into other art forms and really see what they're about and bringing light to it. it is It's a very big task uh, because you're really putting yourself into a culture you'd have no idea about and then actually making it look so beautiful, you know, her dress up as Radha and her outfits that she created and she wore in the pictures she took, they're gorgeous. And they really do justice, I think, to uh, what the art form is and what the culture is. So that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that, because I've had these appropriation conversations recently, but no one was in the room who's actually from that culture from which her dances derive. So thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, of course, yeah. of course. And is the language that you're speaking for these rhythmic patterns you've mentioned an Indian dialect, like a regular language, speaking words that everyone understands, or is it its own kind of language of words? That's a great question. A lot of the language of Kathak comes from the, the language of the tabla. Oh. So um, each dance form, each Indian classical dance form, has an instrument that's very prominent in it, which helps bring the sound out. So in Kathak, it's the tabla. In um, Bharatanatyam, it's the mirdangam. These are instruments? These are instruments. The tabla is a hand drum. There's two parts to the tabla. The the left and right hands both um, play this instrument simultaneously, and they they bring out different sounds um, that are needed. So a lot of the bol, or the language, like dha, dha, in the tabla will will play according to that. Oh, so you're mimicking the sound of the instrument? It's not necessarily words? Exactly. They're not necessarily words that have like actual meaning meaning to it, oh. but they're more like rhythmic sounds like a dha is more of like a like a bass, like deep oh. sound and like a thit or a thin is a higher sound. But have they been ascribed meaning kind of like I mean, ballet is just based on French, but somebody you know, we know that a plie means to bend your legs. I mean, is it kind of like that? Like each of those sounds has a meaning to tell a story? I or it's really more of just the sound? The technical part of it, uh, not necessarily. However, um, there are certain words like kran or yeah. tram, yeah. which do associate to certain steps. Okay. Um, so joining the wrists together and spinning your wrist together, um, that would associate to uh, a word or a bowl called kran or tram. Oh, cool. So over time, that definitely has uh, that has come into our training as dancers. Wow, that's amazing! Thank you so much for that thorough history and description <laughs> of the technique. And yeah, I, I definitely gave a lot more than your question asked. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but it's it's so great to have that context and necessary. Yeah, we really want that because we haven't um, spoken about this genre before and. Um, we we definitely want our listeners to learn. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is actually a a lot of Indian classical dance, and it's definitely prevalent in the United States. There are several Kathak dancers, Bharatanatyam dancers, Kuchipudi dancers, which is another form of Indian classical dance. Um, But surprisingly, you know, it's still not as known as you would want it to be. You know, that's why there's people like me and several other practitioners who are, you know, doing Mm. their best to spread it and share it amongst America. Yeah, and actually, your description of Kathak has really enriched my memories of seeing Akram Khan perform because he definitely absorbs Kathak into his style of modern dance. So he performs Kathak in Mm. its 
purest form or the form that he practices but then he also reflects it in his modern dance movements which is so fascinating to see and he uses a lot of the same speed and direction change in his modern dance movements and it's so amazing to see and again your description is just enriching that and helping me learn more about his fusion of Kathak and modern dance. Now he and he is a wonderful wonderful contemporary Kathak artist and Kathak artist in general. He whatever work he's doing um, is actually the epitome of what Kathak kind of actually is too um, in the sense that it is a traditional classical form of dance but it's so malleable in that way that you can infuse it with other forms I feel mm -hmm. and really kind of create your own language through it. Um, Yes, there are schools, uh, gharanas, who believe um, that Kathak should not be fused. And then, then that no longer is pure Kathak. But you know, growing up in America and living here and living in such a big melting pot, I feel that dance really is uh, a mixing of who you are as a mm. person. And that's why like, I align with what Akram Khan creates and what other artists such as him, Aditi Mangaldas, um, create because it's contemporary Kathak but what what they're doing is a lot of the times is they're really staying very true to the form of Kathak which is the true Indian parts of them right mm. but then they're just taking it and putting it in a very modern context yes and that is also part of our lives their lives I'm sure as well like living in America I, I am American yeah. uh, I, I was born I was brought up here completely so my my, my tradition very much Indian, but upbringing very much in this America, you know, in America. So I think it's beautiful when the art form, when you bring that into your art form. And sometimes I, my opinion is that Gatak allows that. It allows you to move into other art forms and be able to fuse the two together and create your own story. Because at the end of the day, if you're a Gatakar, you're a storyteller. And, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't established like this is it. This is what Gatak is. And there's nothing beyond this. I think where it began, if you look at it, it, it was a group of people just telling stories of the Mahabharata, of the Ramayan, of Krishna, of Radha, of Sita, of Ram. So I think it's, it's wonderful um, yeah. to fuse that in together. I think what I'm less familiar with seeing is the Bharatanatyam <laughs> style of dance. But when I think of that word, I do think of a very of very specific images of, like you were saying, the deeper plies. I also see a lot of gestures with the hands and with the head moving in a certain way. Um, That's true. Can you speak mm -hmm. to that style as well? Sure. Um, I'll do my best uh, since mm -hmm. I don't practice it so much formally. But um, Bharat, actually, in the word Bharatanatya means like India or like our our land. And Natya is dance. So um, Bharatanatyam, historically, or it's been known to be the the dance of India. It, what's interesting and beautiful is that they have vocabulary that they, they follow. So there are hand gestures that mean certain things. Like Alapadma you can show as a flower or as even a question. Where have you gone? Um, so each, each gesture does actually mean something. And other dance rooms have taken from it. There's a very famous text called the Natya Shastra. Um, Natya being um, dance and Shastra being an ancient text. Mm -hmm. And that text actually gives meaning to all of this. It also even explains how a dancer should enter the stage. And depending on who's in the audience, 
how you should be facing when you first enter or what the shape of the stage should be and how, how many cubic centimeters apart each dancer should stand and in which direction is which god and how you should be you know welcoming welcoming them into your performance before you begin and if there was a king watching your dance what how you should perform versus a um you know a, a, a lay person or another just a regular audience and this is all in the text that's been Yes, yes, it's it's in the Natya Shastra, and there's been so many other texts. There's also something called the Abhinaya Darpanam that specifically gives the usage of these hand gestures. Mm-hmm. So these hand gestures aren't just for, they don't just mean one thing, but if it tells you, like, if you use it this way and this way, um, you can use pataka to show it's when all your fingers are together and your thumb is slightly tucked in. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use it to show your sleep. You can use it to show water or even the wind mm-hmm. as you sh- vibrate your fingers across the sky. So, yeah. So this is all making me curious to just kind of revisit or dig a little deeper into how exactly you're telling a story in Katak. Are you using specific gestures that have meanings? Like in the old world of ballet, I think there's some gesture like around someone's face that means they're beautiful. Is it literal in that way through the movement or... Is it the rhythmic patterns that have a meaning, or what? It, how are you telling a story? Definitely. So, so there's two parts to Kathak. There is the the technical aspect, and then there's the abhinaya aspect or the expressions. Oh. We really, and it's important that we rely on not just the hand gestures to literally describe. Look at Lord Krishna, how beautifully he's playing the flute. I'm in love. We heavily rely on our abhinaya to also express that in addition mm-hmm. so everything kind of comes together and as we're talking about abhinaya it's really important to touch on this there's something called rasa rasa or ras ras actually when it literally translated it means taste or essence or the juice in classical dance in rasa or ras uh, you're invoking these feelings in the audience. That's what you're supposed to do as a dancer. You're supposed to invoke the feeling that you're trying to get across to uplift the spectator, Mm. for them to truly understand what you're doing. And there's actually eight different rasas Mm. in um, Indian classical dance. Of them, the eight are love, humor, disgust, fury, Mm. sorrow, heroic or heroism, uh, fear, and peace. Now, these are um, the eight, but then there's also 33 transitory expressions as well. When we're learning, obviously, like, this is all theory that we learn as dancers. Like, this is all a part of my learning um, while I was doing my master's. So there's these three three aspects in Abhinaya or Bhava, the determinants, Mm -hmm. the consequence, and then the transitory uh, expressions. So as as a dance is being composed or as if, as we're choreographing something or learning something, our our gurus, our teachers definitely, as they're teaching us and training us, they do tell us, you know, like imagine this feeling. So as a dancer, as you're practicing, you kind of go into these different expressions naturally. And then, mm. of course, you watch your masters and you see what they're doing. Okay. But it definitely isn't all just hand gestures to explain everything. The facial expressions have to be there because our end goal as an artist is not just to perform for ourselves, mm-hmm. but for the spectator and to bring yes. something to them that they don't already know or have. 
I loved that. When I saw your performance, I noticed that your face was super engaged and you were expressing the whole time. And I loved it because I feel like in contemporary ballet performance and just most of the time these days, dancers are just staring ahead like robots and it's almost like they've been told to just like have blank expressions and it feels kind of weird because they're also dancing and supposed to be expressing something, you know? But then on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes I'll see these like super overacted Russian ballets and their facial expressions will just distract me and I'm like, oh my God, this is so (laughs) annoying and ridiculous. Um, But it worked so well and it makes sense that that's part of the technique that you study because the expression was like charming and really enhanced the dance and it really drew me in i i and and exactly what you just said um it is there to captivate the audience because um a lot of the rhythmic patterns like they'll go on but how much do you really understand rhythmic patterns right as a lay lay person never have seen have seen such a art form so all of that definitely is to you know pull the dancer in Mm -hmm. with that being said again gatak has the freedom for dancers to create their own way in the art form yes there are garanas that we follow like for example i my guru has been trained um, by great masters of both the lucknow and jaipur garana Mm. so she has passed that down to me and i i would like to think that you know a lot of my technical work is jaipur style with a, with a touch of the lucknow as well with like the, the swaying of the movement of the body that also in itself is a style that my guru created she made that her own and that is something that she really emotes as an artist in her work in her dancers that she trains um so at times like you said you sometimes see the the very straight zero expressions or the overdoing of the expressions mm-hmm. that definitely happens as well um and 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 it makes sense because it's difficult. Expression yeah. is not yes. an easy aspect of dance to emote. Because yeah. as it is mentally, you're taking a lot of spins. You're jumping. Your your legs are lifting in ballet. And, and you're talking and playing an instrument. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But and then you know you have to so you have to control your breath. Mm-hmm. So a, a really wonderful thing. Just a side note that one of my um, current teachers, Pandit uh, Divyang uh, Vakilji, taught me that as you as you go deeper into your practice, you're supposed to have this terao and this calmness. Mm. Terao meaning calmness and this composure to yourself. And he said that when you dance faster and faster, your breath should become slower and slower. Mm. He said you're, it's almost like a meditative state you're reaching. And what's interesting is, um, and I've never heard it that way from mm. any from a teacher before and he's my rhythm teacher I work with my rhythmic aspects with him a lot more there's a lot more to the rhythm like the rhythmic aspect of Indian classical music it's very complex um I can tell yes. the example you gave us of the- yeah so so he um so now imagine you are wearing a big flowy dress that's going to pick up at your waist and you're going to spin with that mm-hmm. you're wearing ankle bells which are about two pounds each you are wearing jewelry. Your hair is tied up nice and tight. You have to wear, um, you don't have to uh, wear all uh, certain outfits. You know, dancers have also now broken out into their own mm. way of dressing. But then at the same time, you want to create this, you want to create this expression. You want to speak well. You want to move well. You don't, you want everything to look effortless. Yeah. So it's definitely, and then on top of that, to add expression, to make sure the audience really gets pulled in, mm-hmm. to understand what you're trying to emote, 
it, it's it's a lot of work. That yeah. <laughs> does sound complicated. Yeah, yeah, and sure. um, that's a very fascinating way to think about moving, as you speed up and you're doing more complicated things in multi-directional ways that you would slow down your breath and it reminds me of the concept of availability that Ohad Nareen talks about in Gaga Technique Mm. when you are in a place in your body where you're allowing flow to come in and out from multiple directions and you're just integrating everything all at once but when you're in that sort of zone quote unquote or that flow um it just all happens together and that does include the expression of the face everything is connected and nothing is disconnected in the body a hundred percent and and sometimes what i feel when your expressions are connecting to your movement and you're in that state you're also it's like the the aspects i I almost feel like a tree uh, when i'm dancing because there's just so many different branches that have to come out of me in order for me to look like this full beautiful tree that you know is going to sustain itself um you talk about all these different elements that you have to integrate in katak which sounds next to impossible what is the training like how do you train in all these different elements and what is a guru for those of us in the western world who don't know what their role is no for sure um a guru is someone who you know technically speaking if you look at the definition someone who brings um light in your darkness so there are gurus of spirituality, gurus of education. You know, um, your mother can also be your guru, give it, having given birth to you, if you look at it poetically. Um, but in, in Indian classical dance, a guru is your master in dance. They train you not actually just in dance, but, you know, the whole etiquette of dance. Um, Indian classical dance actually has an etiquette. And this was a part of the training as well, not just the dance aspect of expression and the bharanth, which is the vocals, and the movement and the footwork um, and idea creating and choreography, there is a whole adab or mannerism that you actually have to learn first it, uh, through the art in, in your training, how you speak, how you sit, how you um, greet somebody. You know, and I've been fortunate to the extent where, you know, in addition to the training that my mother and my parents have given me, um, in terms of respecting elders and others, um, you know, my guru definitely aided in that. And, you know, if there's an older artist, how would you speak with them? How do you work with them? How do you, you know, serve them a glass of water? Mm. And that is taught to us to bring humility within us. Mm. And at the end of the day, you can be a beautiful artist, but we're also taught that if you're not a good person or if you're, if you don't, at least try to be the best person you are, then that art, what does it matter? Um, So that's the training that I have had. So yes, uh, definitely going to my guru's home every day and, you know, doing just footwork practice for two, three hours straight without stopping. And it's not necessary that she would sit there with me and make me do it, but she would listen from wherever she is around in her home because the studio would be in her home in her basement and she would just listen to my footwork sounds and she would just say from up top like you missed that one beat keep going and focus on this Mm. and and then once I have kind of warmed up that way for a couple of hours then she would come down and we'd work on a piece that you know we're working on to perform or to present or 
or she would challenge me sometimes in a way like, um, here's this piece of music, choreograph something right now. Mm. They catch you off guard, but that's part of the training as well. Mm. For you to think on the spot, what are you going to do if this comes your way? Growing up in America, I had a hard time with that uh, because it wasn't so straightforward. So it took me, even though I have this very Indian upbringing, um, the, the, the training with a with my guru was very different and very difficult to understand at first. What is actually expected out of me? You know, and slowly as I got more into it, as I fell more in love with it, um, you know, I realized that everything, I, I have to be good at everything and I have to know everything as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And I have to be able to think that 10 steps ahead. It's called Hazar Dimag. Hazar Dimag meaning having that ability to think 10 steps ahead. For example, like we would have a shoot and in, you know, rather than just getting to the shoot and realizing that, oh, we needed an extension cord to play our music off of to charge the phone and, um, and there isn't one and now what are we going to do? Now we're limited. So one of, one, of, one of the teachings that I had was, well, you know, you should have thought of this. You should have like thought, like we're going to this place. What do I need? Let's scan the whole room in my head and just you know, figure out what the need was before it was actually needed. Wow. So is this all one-on-one with one guru who teaches each aspect, the vocal, the footwork, the gestures? Traditionally, yes. It's believed that you, um, traditionally it's believed that you work with one guru, but, and you learn everything with them. And, you know, to an extent, uh, when you work with one guru, you become not only that guru's student, but almost like their, their child, Mm. um, their daughter or their son. And, you know, they're really giving you everything. And as a dancer, you're being really vulnerable with them. And they themselves as a guru are being vulnerable to you, giving their uh, their art to you in the sense of like whatever they've made of their own to you and that you have to like humbly accept that and really work with it. But what I've also seen is a, a lot of like senior dancers to me have trained with several gurus. Mm-hmm. They didn't just follow with one. They learned with several. Mm-hmm. They learned different aspects, and then they went off on their own and created whatever they did. But I have specifically trained only with my guru, and uh, she did definitely send me to workshop with other gurus to, you know, go to India, see how they train in India, see what the training aspect is, and bring that into your life, bring that into your own practice. Mm-hmm. So she definitely opened up the world to me, but I, I have always and only trained with her, really. Interesting. I think the old style... <laughs> which is what mm-hmm. obviously ballet tradition is based on. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of teachers throughout the U.S. who do come from this tradition of similarly being, I guess, what you call a guru, but in actuality they are a mentor who are teaching a total way of life. Like yes. this is how you present yourself. Yes. You do not wear jeans outside of your home. And I had the pleasure of having a mentor like that and I didn't realize I didn't make the connection between a guru and this type of ballet mentor until Mm -hmm. today when we were talking about it but it is amazing and it's amazing to have that force in your life I mean who doesn't want a guru or a mentor I feel like I have many gurus in my life no Mm -hmm. I completely agree and I I feel um it really really has changed the way I also perform or the way I see life. Um, I think my gurus definitely taught me, in addition to like dress this way, dress that way, speak like this, speak softly here, you have to raise your voice here, you have to speak up here. I think a lot of how you dance is what your personality is 
And this is one thing she's always mm-hmm. told me. Um, the way I perform, actually, like, I'm a very fast dancer. It's because in general, like, I have, you know, hundreds and thousands of thoughts running through my head. I have, <laughs> as I'm sure a lot of dancers I've encountered do as well. And she's brought a lot of serenity into my life and a lot mm. of focus into my life that if you want to change the way you dance, you have to change also the way you you are as a person because mm. you really are putting out an expression of who you are. So if mm. I am a very haphazard person, then I'm going to perform that way. So I've been... Through her mentoring, I've been able to learn, and I'm still learning. Life is about this process of learning yes. um, how to balance this very quick personality that I have, very like move from this end to that end to the stage within a moment. Like you tell me you want um, this, I'll say let's not wait till tomorrow, let's do it right now. Yeah. And kind of bring in the, the calmness also. It's so funny because I feel like it's almost the opposite of the way I'm used to maybe thinking about it or hearing about it in, I guess, the Western tradition Mm -hmm. or whatever that would be. Um, I don't know if I agree. I mean, I feel, and it's not really, it's a subjective thing. Yeah. But um, I feel like through ballet, for example, like you can learn to focus yourself and center yourself and access a place that's more peaceful and calm. Like I'm a more excitable person too, but then in ballet class I kind of like, have this like focusing which is why I need it so badly and sometimes realize I'm going crazy and I haven't taken dance <laughs> class in a yeah. long time mm-hmm. yeah. and I, that's almost the opposite it's like you don't have to change your person but you change your person through dance or you access a different place whereas you they're looking at it in this completely other way which is just different it's just like a completely different way of looking at it I think I, I have actually drawn a lot of parallels to ballet yeah me, me too um, I think I would agree, actually, because um, when I think of dancers that I know who have certain habits and patterns, it is actually linked to personality traits. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And when I watch a dancer, I think maybe I'll think to myself, like, oh, this dancer is in their head. And they're actually in their head like that in general life. That tends to be how they approach situations in life. And and I think, but at the same time, dance does help us access all kinds of aspects of nice. ourselves. You know, we're not just like one personality trait. We're like all kinds of personality traits. Um, yeah. So yeah. I do see it as being very linked. And I do see when you see a light or when you see a feeling come out, which is what we do want dance to be at the end of the day, it is coming from an internal place. Yeah. I feel I like it's kind of both. Like if your personality is one way, it can come out, and then you can also use dance to access something else. Or I, I agree. I don't think there's any one which way that yeah. you should be, or the, there's no one process ever. I yeah. feel, and this is the process that I went through, or I'm going through um, in my training, and even as a dancer, as a person, I think I definitely know and see how I used to perform and how I perform now. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, as Martha Graham says, it takes 10 years to create a dancer. I know in, like, five more years or 10 more years, like, my dance is going to be completely different mm-hmm. um, because my personality will have changed. I think I'll, I'll have yeah. maybe calmed down a little bit and have decided that, no, this isn't the way I want to go anymore. And that was a part of my life, and now it isn't or that personality trait, or whatever it is. and Or no, this piece requires this, so I need to bring it in. So I agree with both of you. I think that either or is possible. Nothing is like set in stone, but this is just what my experience and journey has been. And I, I feel that it has benefited me. 
I definitely have like fought it that like, no, this is what I am. This is what I want to remain. And that's it. But sometimes when it's there to when, when, when the mentor is there to guide you along, you know, you really just have to take a step back and out of your own self, which is difficult and just observe. And I've really had like these last couple of months or this last year, I've had that time to observe that and to really appreciate all the all the training I've gotten in that sense. Yeah, and I really love that idea of working on your whole person as a part of the art form. I just think that's so fascinating and oh, it's a, it's so a huge part for yeah. dance. It's a huge part of Indian classical dance for sure. Yeah. So speaking of who you are, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> earlier we were talking about how artists bring the intersection of their interests and influences together. How would you describe how you bring about your personality, your influences, and embody that with your technique? It's a great question. Um, I've been exploring this a lot in the last year. Um, I've, I've been working more independently, and it's really given me a lot of time to explore that. So I feel what I really, truly enjoy, although... You know, it's been a flaw at times where I'm super, super quick and I'm very excitable and, you know, haste makes waste at times. And that's happened and I've experienced that. But Mm. I, at the same time, truly just enjoy that aspect of myself because it does come into the dance. And I feel at times, and this is something I've been told by other mentors as well, that my dance is very airy Mm. and it's very light and it, it, it just seems like I'm just flowing through space. So I love to choreograph that way mm. like my group choreography um of course definitely comes from my training from my guru like she's also trained me to think that way and to kind of work with the music in a certain way which I'll get into but I I just absolutely love that I love to bring in energy while I can because I hope I'll be dancing till I'm like 70 at the speed mm-hmm. I dance at but mm-hmm. till I can dance as fast as I can I will and I'll definitely make the dancers with me dance as fast um, but I truly enjoy that. I truly cap- I love captivating that energy within the audience as well. And I really think that sometimes draws them in, especially when they're not familiar with the art form. Um, and I think it's very, it, it's sometimes a strategic thing. Like I wouldn't do like a slow entry in, but just like a very dashing entry into the stage to kind of just like wrap them into the piece. Like, whoa, what did I just see? And then definitely I love the whole aspect of speed, but then having grace with it as well. You know, having the spine move with me in my spins. Again, another aspect of training that I've received from my guru. This is like her style that now I'm exploring my own self further in and seeing what I can make, like, you know, what, what Berka can create out of this. Is what you present right now still pretty purist to Katak dance or are you mixing styles? The movement is purist, I yeah. feel. Um, I'm sure if there was a, a senior of the art form watching, they might think it's contemporary but I think the choreography is contemporary for sure oh that's interesting Um, so a lot of the times um, a lot of choreography is um, you know you're in a straight line or you're you put in windows and you know there's two lines and you're moving through that but and this is what I love um, about my training with my guru I think she really just she's put this like she used to call it, she calls it a kira or like an ant that just kind of like crawls around in your brain and it starts mm-hmm. making you think things like this isn't enough. This isn't enough. Like something more can happen here. Mm. So I think that, I don't know if that thought is contemporary or if it's just her thought or if it's purist, but it's her thought mm. uh, that I kind of bring into my practice. 
and um, you know try to focus on that. And with that being said, I, I've been trained to listen to the music in its layers. So whatever music we've ever used in the past when I was training with my guru, she'd be like, did you hear that? And I'm like, hear what? What are you talking about? She's like, I'm like, I just hear and she's like, no, listen carefully. So I've been trained to hear music that way. And then she would choreograph that way too. So, so you know, not all the dancers are dancing to just the melody, but then some are on the, the melody and some are on the rhythm. Or we're just mm-hmm. dancing to the rhythm, almost bringing that forward to the audience. Like, did you hear this rhythmic part in yeah. the music? Or are you focusing on just the, the, the melody of the music? So um, this is so fascinating to listen to you talk about your process and the choreography versus the movement and the technique. And there's just so much more to learn. Um, But tell us more about what you're doing and if there's a performance coming up that you'd like to share or any projects you have going forward. Sure, sure. So recently I've been creating a lot of um, shorter pieces, which are between 6 and 15 minutes, um, solos and choreography. And each and every single choreography either um, comes from a very emotional place or from a place of you know, this is what I have to present as a Kathak dancer. It's important um, to share this about the art form. But I'm working on a dream project now. It is a full-length production, and it's going to be uh, 60 to 70 minutes. And this really comes from an emotional place. Um, It's been in the pipeline in my thoughts for many years. Mm. And to now see so many parts of it come to fruition Mm. is incredible. The project is based in the theme of emotionally empowering women. The the idea and the thought behind this project is that we, women in general, um, I feel sometimes, um, and I'm sure men go through this as well, but I'm focused on, you know, my type of people, women, that we often um, self-doubt and we build up Mm. our own insecurities and kind of keep ourselves from attaining the goals that we truly, you know, can reach. And it's like that quote Michael Jordan says, you miss 100% one of those shots that you don't take. And we really don't raise our hands at the table or we don't really just go out there and do what it is that we really want to do. And, and I've seen this in a lot of women around me. My mother is a wonderful person, a very talented woman, very artistic, but she hasn't been in the work field for so many years that when I tell her to bring her art and make it into a potential career there's a lot of doubts that she brings out to me no like I won't have time and what if this happens I'm like what if it happens and I have experienced this with myself and it's interesting Um, this project is about speaking with her inner goddess and the inner goddess is guiding her and the goddess is her in fact and telling her that you have to battle your own self-doubts to really become this free and liberated woman to achieve anything and I think in today's day and age you know women really need to come together to support themselves and also just encourage each other to become who they fully can be and I'm hoping that this project will really build a community of women coming together and just sharing their stories of being emotionally empowered and sometimes you know even reading someone else's story which I have always done I read a lot of Oprah, (laughs) and it's really encouraged me. Um, You guys should read this book called This I Know For Sure. And that that book actually has launched me into this thought and kind of really empowered me like, yeah, I can. I can do this. I can, um, you know, I can create my own full-length production. And, you know, I'm in the process of looking into applying for grants, which is a very 
scary process. Um, and, you know, sometimes you really have to muster up all your courage and line your ducks in the right way to hope that these opportunities will, you know, really become yours and um, your dreams will bear its fruits. And, you know, I'm really optimistic. I think they will. I feel like I'm surrounded by really positive people. My friends, my family, my husband, my mother, my sisters, uh, mentors who push me into that empowering and reminding me. And then I push myself further into, yes, I can do this. So, yeah, I'm hoping that this project will premiere um, in 2019. And um, I hope you guys will come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we definitely will. I can't wait to see it. Is it one long story or kind of like... Uh, it is. It is one long story. It is. Um, I have... I ha- I'm... I've built a world of a character. The audience will be invited into her world. And it's one long story that goes on. Yeah, we're excited to keep following you. And Thank you. See Thank what you so you much produce. for having me. This was very, very exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for sharing so much history and all of this totally new knowledge. It was fascinating. Anytime. Mm-hmm. Always here. Thank I you. learned a lot. I learned a lot, too. Thank you, girls, for having mm-hmm. me. <laughs>